Hello everybody, welcome to Rumors, Money, and Movies. As always, I'm your host, James Stone. This is our first episode since the Bruce Nash episode, Bruce Nash 5, on our countdown to October 5th, 2024. This is our third episode in that series. Our next episode will be in a couple weeks' time, we'll be talking about Doom. We'll follow that up with a Oscars post-show, and then we also have two interviews that have already been recorded that I'm sitting on. So I appreciate your support. Again, the podcast is ending. So I appreciate your support. I appreciate you guys sharing this as much as you can. And as always, thank you so much for listening every single episode, or even if this is your first episode, I appreciate that. Today, we'll be talking about the 96th Academy Awards. Takes place March 10th. If you're listening to this episode, it was recorded in late February so a little bit ahead of schedule because I had some other things coming up and the Dune episode really made me pivot because I still want to do the Dune episode. It's, I think it's a good episode to have, so I had to pivot. Obviously, I would have been this closer to the show. So some of my information may not be as great or as relevant depending on when you're listening to it. Bear that in mind when I make my selections and make my picks. I did see the vast majority of the films. There's only one film that I probably should have seen that I didn't see, but I'll get into why I didn't see it very shortly. As always, follow us on Twitter at rmm901. I barely use that app anymore because that app is discuss- well X. What are the? I'm never calling it. I don't want people to understand. I will never call that X. It's like Meta. I'm not calling it. There's some principle. So you can follow us there. I barely post on it now, but I will post for the Oscars. If not, if that's not up your alley, follow us on Letterbox J A B N Y R I C. I mean, if you're looking for films, if you're looking for suggestions, if you want to know what I'm watching and when I'm watching it, just go on and just scroll on and get it, get get a letterbox, you cowards. Okay. Okay, maybe I should stop now before I get in trouble. <laughs> All right. Well, the 96th Academy Awards. So I'm going to do this similar to what I did last year. I'm going to talk about the Best Picture nominees, rank them based off the ballot, and then talk a little bit about the different categories. Now, if you remember last year when I went based off the criteria, the way you vote in the Oscars, it's ranked choice voting. So as a ballot member, you put your number one film number one, your number two in the film number two, and so on and so forth. And then whoever has the most number ones doesn't necessarily win because that's not how the voting works. It basically is like they keep eliminating the options based on their popularity. And so again, it works based off a majority system, right? You have to have a majority, not a plurality. So if the first round of voting happens and no film has the majority of the first place votes, then whoever has the least amount of first place votes, that gets asked. And then the whoever that person voted for their second film becomes a first place vote. So basically, in a, in a roundabout way, is let's say 10 people are voting and there's, and there's three options. Option A, option B, option C. If say it's four, four, and two, right? Option A gets four votes for first place. Option B gets four votes and option C gets two votes. If I voted for option C as my first place vote, my vote is rescinded. What was my second place vote? So now, if both of our second place votes were for option A, option A would win. Now, obviously, it's thousands of votes and thousands of people, and there's more options. But basically, you could get the most amount, you get the most first place votes and not win because maybe somebody got the most second place votes. That's what I was talking about last year with everything everywhere all once was that the reason why I was. Because even if people didn't vote at number one, most people were going to have it in their top three. So even if it wasn't the highest getting 
first place vote because I still think that All Quiet on the Western Front probably got the most first place votes last year. But Everything Everywhere All Once probably got the most second and third place votes so it ended up winning. Because again, if your first place vote gets eliminated, then your second place vote becomes your first place vote. And then if that vote gets eliminated, your third. So eventually it works its way down, right? Now, usually you're probably not going to get past your third or fourth place vote because obviously at a certain point, like, you know, something's going to stick out from the crowd. But that's how the voting works for best picture. For all the other votes, whoever gets the most first place votes wins. Best picture is the only one where it's this sort of ranked choice voting that affects the, the vote system. Now, there's 10 best picture nominees. They are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of a Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and Zone of Interest. I'm going to go through all of them, what I thought of them. I'm going to give you the Rotten Tomatoes score, also the Letterboxd score. I'm not going to do the critics' consensus anymore because Rotten Tomatoes is, is, is bad. But I'm going to go through that. I'm going to give my, I'm gonna, but I'm going to do it based off of my ballot. If that makes sense. So I'm going to go 10 to 1. And then at the end of it, I'm going to go through all the other awards very quickly. And then I'm going to give you the official picks. Not who I think should win, but who I think will win, where your money's at. I already have a couple of people telling me, what are your picks? Who do you like? Who do you like? This is a, you guys don't understand. This is a serious thing for me. I have a reputation to protect. I need to, I need to make you people money. So all the best and good luck as we officially get into this preview show. Now, the first thing I'll be talking about is the one film I actually haven't seen, which is what I'll get into why I haven't seen it. It is Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lathimos, starring Emma Stone, Mark Rutherford, William Dafoe, among others. It's nominated for 11 categories, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It has currently on Letterboxd a 4.2 star ranking, which is very high. As I tell you guys, four over four is good. 92% Rotten Tomatoes critic score, 79% audience score. And it centers around, it's a subversion of the Frankenstein tale for female, basically. Now, I didn't go see this movie because, A, I have no interest in giving this movie my money. I know I'm not going to like this movie. I'm not really a fan of Lothimus's work. I had to do this podcast now, like I said, and I wasn't, I'm not paying to go see this in a theater. Everybody that I trust told me that there's no way I'm going to like this movie. And I don't think there is going to be a way I like this movie. So I'm not even, I honestly know I'm going to hate this movie. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, I can't comment too much on it. Sorry, I'm a fraud. What I will say is it is getting a lot of buzz for other awards, not necessarily best picture that would, Though the best picture odds right now are so messed up that it actually has actually has a good... Sh like, Oppenheimer's winning best picture. This has the second best odds, though, to win best picture. Um, I buried the hatchet there. It's at plus 1,200 right now. Haven't seen it. Can't say that much about it personally. But people that I know that I've seen it have all told me, bruh. Now, the, the one film, the lowest film on my radar that I actually watched was Maestro. Centers around the story of Leonard Bernstein's biopic. It was nominated for Best Picture, along Best Actor, Best Actress, and then Best Original Screenplay. It's directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper in the title role, Carrie Mulligan in a supporting role, and you know, as a supporting actress as the wife. Center again, like I said, it centers around the relationship between Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Montale Montalegre. 
their marriage. Now, this film actually has been proven very unpopular on Letterboxd. only has a 3.2 star ranking, which is pretty bad, actually, especially for a film of this quality. It has a 79% Rotten Tomatoes critic successes, a 59% audience score. This was very unlikable. Now, my review for this on Letterboxd, so I'll keep doing these. And again, at the end, guys, I'm going to summarize all the nominations. So if it's unclear what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Because when I pick my results, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to all that. So not to worry. So this is my official review. I have a game we can play, Envy and Secrets. You know that game? Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein. I always start with a quote. Reminded me of Bohemian Rhapsody. Spielberg and Scorsese produced this. Garbage, Oscar garbage. Further singing the death of the art from I think I love. Overstylized, underwritten, mistaken, unevenness for subtlety. Bradley Cooper narcissistically making himself the star. Nothing of merit. Nothing that makes any sense anyway. I'm just fed up at this point, honestly. This is what is rewarded in the industry and by society at large. No one seems to think it's that good. But their awards have been bought and sold, partner. Sit down and enjoy. Thanks for indulging me, darling. I rushed through it because, honestly, I wanted to think about this film as less as possible. I gave it one star. Terrible. Uh, I read a, someone comment that it should have had four-year consideration in the beginning. I mean, it was just Oscar bait beyond belief. And it looks beautiful. It's a gorgeous-looking film. I have to give you... I, ha I have to give it credit. I have to give credit where credit is due. The one positive thing I can honestly say about the film is the production design and the cinematography. Matthew Lipatikou, I hope that's his name, was the cinematographer on the project. I got to tell you, like, no BS. It's a beautiful-looking film, and it's technicolor. So I have to give it that, but everything else, I got to be honest with you, the script, like, I don't know how this was nominated for, for, for best original screenplay. That's bullshit because it's terrible. I mean, it's nothing's explained. Nothing's followed through. The scenes don't mesh together. There's no storyline. There's no arc. There's no, you know, nothing happens where you really feel with the characters in the sense of like, okay, this plot point happens and it builds into this one and this one and the subsequent plot Plot points. There isn't any of that. It's like sort of like not really clear, pseudo abstract scenes, extreme wide shot or wide shot conversation scenes where you could barely see what's going on. I just, I don't know. Like, if anything, you know, best cinematography, it got a nomination for that. It deserved that. But everything else, I mean, it's just, I didn't think the performances were that good or that they should have been nominated. But for this to be nominated for best picture is a little ridiculous considering that nobody thinks it's that good, like I said. And it's not even as if it has anything to say about its subject matter or that it's very enlightening about its subject matter. You know, I didn't know anything that much about Leonard Bernstein before I went to go see the movie. And I walked out not knowing that much about Leonard Bernstein. So it wasn't like it was a particularly good biopic or, you know, letting you in on what's going on. So to me... A big pass. You know, if you liked it, congratulations. Fantastic. It, it's something to me that I'm a little disappointed because I did like Bradley Cooper. Not that I hate Bradley Cooper now or anything. I was a little shocked that this is what he decided to make and that this was the quality for which he made. The next film on my list, number nine, is going to get me in trouble. That's Killers of a Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's newest film. It was nominated for 10 Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor. As many know, it might be surprised why it's so low on my list. It has a 93% Rotten Tomatoes score and 84% audience score. And it has a 4.1 on Letterboxd. 
stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, Robert De Niro, again, directed by Martin Scorsese. I gave it one star, and I gave it a long review. Kind of feel weird having to read all these reviews out loud, but I'll read them anyway. That's good medicine, Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhardt. Before I get into the... Oh, so, I have to get into this. So I went to go see this with my brother at Bedford Playhouse. And there was a, a wrestling legend. So we, we get there. We get there. And we're sitting down in the theater. And the movie's starting. Like, the credits have already rolled. Like, we're in the movie. And I hear this guy go... Uh, I don't want to give away the... Per I'm not a little ball person. So I don't want to give away the person's identity. Even though I did tell people about it. Anyway, he, he, he walks into the theater. And I knew who it was based off his voice. And he's walking with a cane in hand, and he's literally a foot, he's six inches from me, and he falls down, and he spills the drink all over the place. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this guy is right here, I'm staring at him, I could touch him. And like, three people got up and helped him up, and he gets up and apologizes, and then walks back to his seat. But I gotta tell you, you know, that to me was more revealing than anything in this film. The Osage people are tertiary characters in their own story. KOFM plays into the same characters that have played Native Americans for decades. Nothing in this is of any importance that you can't read about on Wikipedia. What should cinema do? It should generate emotion and mean that you can't create another art forms. This is not cinema. This ingenuous performances from miscast actors, in parentheses, Leo and Bob. No drama or stakes as we already know how this story will play out. And nothing of no cinematic. We editing this subpar cinematography is boring. The screenwriting tell everything, show nothing. Everyone has a bad film, but for more to do what he did in the final scene is frankly abominable, ridiculous, and disrespectful. Yeah, I hated the ending. The ending to me was actually embarrassing and, and something that I really upset me. The fact that this got nominated for best best film editing and best cinematography is a joke. It's embarrassing, quite frankly. This is a movie to me that's three and a half hours long that you know everything that's going to happen within the first 10 minutes. And what I didn't get about the film was, was that it got best production design. It got all these different awards, like these technical awards, and it looked like shit. It didn't even look good. And, you know, barring everything else, right, film is a multi-tiered art form, right? You have sort of the literary element of it, which is the screenplay, and then you have the visual element of it. And there's always this back and forth in cinema of visual storytelling or literary storytelling. This had nothing. I mean, there's literally a scene in the first 10 minutes. They tell you the whole plot. The, the film is so confused and what on its politics. But forgetting that, I mean, I can forgive that. There's a lot of films that I don't really care about that. But this film is really like kind of disturbing to me because it's like, I don't even understand how someone watches this and it's like, oh, that's a that's a flattering portrayal of of the Osage people. That's a flattering portrayal of Native Americans. Everything about the Native Americans in this film and the Osage people makes them look stupid and makes and feeds into that caricature of like, oh, these people were from another time. They didn't understand the ways of the modern society. And then the acting is bad because you you know you get. You get two city guys trying to play like, you know, rednecks and, and DiCaprio and De Niro. And the fact that De Niro got a support in that is, embar is, is embarrassing. I understand the guy's 80 years old and just had a kid. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why he's nominated. I really don't. I mean, I know I understand he's 80 and I get it. But he, 
And I like De Niro. De Niro's a very good actor. All, all, you know, me not liking his personality or anything aside, why was he nominated in this? I don't understand it. I really just don't get that. And it's pretty insulting, honestly, to be like, that's the fifth best performance. That's a top five performance in the supporting actor. It's, it's a joke. Now, the next film I'm going to do, I actually gave more stars than another film on the list. But like I told everybody, these are movies that, even though I, I can give something more stars, but I think it's less deserving than one best picture. So the next film I'm doing is Past Lives, directed by Celine, Celine Song. It has a 4.2 star rating on Letterboxd, which again means it has a very high Letterboxd rating. It has a 96% tomato meter, an 83% audience score. I saw this recently. I gave it two and a half stars. I said, now I'm not going to read the whole quote because it's too long. So I'm 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 kind of running on the fly here because I don't want to waste everybody's time. I'm not going to read the quote. If you want to want to know what I wrote about in the quote, go into my letterbox. My review was two and a half stars. Didn't really seem to have all that much to say. Puts a lot of stock into two 12-year-olds being friends as attempts at trying to transcend or dimensional society feel half-baked, mainly because the direction does little to justify this assessment. Never all that subtle, and the meta-observations are DOA, then on arrival. Still relatively engaging, albeit flawed and derivative, spring in a small town exists. That's a film, a Chinese film from 80 years ago. Somewhat surprised by the praise it has received, and I am surprised by the praise this film has received. It's directed by Celine Song. It stars Greta Lee, T.U., and John Magaro. It's nominated for Best, Best Picture. It's also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Didn't get a play outside of those two awards. My problem with this film was that this felt like, and, and I have a friend that, who comes on the podcast now again, he's a contributor. He always says this too, it's like, A24 has these formulas for how they make a certain type of film. They have a formula for how they make a horror film. They have a formula for how they make a drama or a comedy. And this felt very much, because it is this was produced by A24, very much like a formula of what A24 does for these sort of dramedy, romantic comedy, like near-miss love stories. Because the plot centers around these two Korean friends. The wo the woman moves to America, basically. They don't see each other for 20 years. She gets married, and then they reunite. And it's about, you know, their relationship. And are they in love? Should they be in love? The what-ifs of it all. But I'm like, they were 12 years old. Well, you're 12, you're 13. What are you talking about? Is that just me? I, I just couldn't buy into it because I'm like, this... They were, they were 30 now, and that happened 24 years ago. So this is not like it happened five years ago. And it wasn't like they were married. They weren't even, a, they were they were friends. They had a little bit, they had crushes on each other when they were 13, 12. Then they reunited for a little bit. I had like a Zoom online relationship thing for a couple months. Then they didn't see each other again. Okay, they're friendly. But just, I, I, to me, it's like a film like this, you have to have something to me that is relatable. And it wasn't relatable. And there were parts of the film, like the meta, they were trying to be all meta at times. They had a couple of scenes that were very meta. And my apologies if I'm not very clear right now. I'm, I'm trying to find the, I'm trying to do the tightrope between being specific enough so that you could still watch it, but also I can give you something to actually think about. And there were other scenes where they were trying sort of for like a, you know, 
a universal approach, like a Malik or someone like that, where it's like, our universe is bigger than just us type thing. And I was like, come on. Like, there was no backing. There was no depth, really. And I felt at the end of the film, I didn't feel like the film had all that much to say. I feel like the film was lacking in that regard because I come away saying what? What, they were in love? They were supposed to be in love? That's not even a spoiler. I'm just saying, like, what, what was the point of the film? I'm not sure, right? And to me, in no world is this a best picture winner. I don't even know. This is a very, it's a very small film. This is not a big film. For this to be nominated for best picture, I think, is a little kind of, oh, whatever. Because at least Kill of the Flowers Moon, I can see because it's it's big. You know, it's a spectacle. I may not like it or how it presents its subject matter, the killing of the Osage people, but at least I can understand the the conscious of like, oh my God, like, you know, it's a big film. Even my Maestro, I can kind of see because it's so technically mash. I mean, the, the writing's horrendous, but like technically it's something to behold. I don't think anyone's watching this saying that the editing was just something I haven't seen before. I just, it's a film like this where I'm just like, it's not bad. It wasn't bad. I gave it two and a half stars. I I thought it was worth my time. You know, and I even think star ratings are all beat a little stupid, you know, in a sense. Like, what is it? Who cares what I gave it? But I just think they're nice. They're good for organizing what you thought of a film. But for the averages, most people are giving it four and a half stars. I mean, that's basically what it's saying, right? If the rating is 4.2 stars, that means most people are giving it four and a half or five stars. Give me a stop. Stop. Next film, a bit of the Barbie. You guys already heard my discussion on this. Barbie, 88%. How you doing? Como esta? How you doing? You came back. 88% Rotten Tomatoes. Critics consensus, 83% audience score. It's got a four three point nine on Letterbox. That's only because over three million people have seen it. Directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, American Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Simu Liu, Will Ferrell, Michael Sarah, yada 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 yada. This film was nominated for Best Picture. Greta Gerwig is not nominated for Best Director. It was a whole controversy surrounding that, which I'll get into in two seconds. Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress. Whole controversy surrounding that. Ryan Gosling was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. American Ferreira was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And another controversy was it was a nominee for Best Adapted Screenplay. But people are saying that it wasn't, it was based off a toy, not a book. So it really shouldn't be in the same category for Best Adapted Screenplay. Now, first, the Best Adapted Screenplay controversy, very quickly, I agree. That's stupid. It's based off, it's based off an IP. It's not based off of a book or something. And the best adapted screenplay category is supposed to be screenplays based off of a book or a TV show or a, a, a video game of some sort. Things that have storylines already that you're taking. This is not taking anything based off a Barbie toy. That's one. Two, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie not getting nominated. I'm going to get into the category a little bit later, but I absolutely agree Margot Robbie should have been nominated. I don't know what happened with the voting and the people got lost on the ticket. There's no reason why she shouldn't be nominated. And I'll get into why when I get to that. Greta Gerwig getting nominated for Best Director. Honestly, I already know that Martin Scorsese shouldn't have been nominated, so I would have been fine with it, I guess. Now, I gave it two stars. So I gave, even though I gave it a lower ranking than Past Lives, I still think it's probably better than Past Lives from a perspective of, again, spectacle and making it feel like a big deal. Now, <laughs> my letterbox review was, we don't have generals. 
that's okay. Margot Robbie, Mac Brandt, Barbie, construction worker. So it was, a, it, was a, it was it was a back and forth between Barbie and this construction worker. I think it was trying to get a little, if you know what I mean. I commend the actors, especially Robbie, but this isn't all that smart or respectable. A walking contradiction representing everything wrong with culture in 2023. Now, I'm not going to rehash the whole Barbie thing. I already got into why I didn't like the movie. I'm not going to do this again. Am I upset that I got nominated for Best Picture? No, I mean, hope honestly, I wish you, I honestly wish that it had more of a chance of winning because then maybe people would be more interested in the show. I think people kind of understand this has no shot of winning anything, which is a little surprising, honestly. Because you would have thought there would have been a grassroots push. I think this year when I get into the specific categories, the grassroots stuff is not working. There's not really like calls to let someone win because they're a historic vote or that because it fits an agenda. I think that is kind of not working this year as much as it has maybe even last year or in past years. I'm, I'm frankly surprised that Barbie isn't getting more hype as a potential winner. Not for Best Picture, but... Any award, I mean, I think it's going to strike out, except original song. I think it's striking out, so I am a little surprised on that. Again, I didn't like the film particularly. I didn't like the politics of the film. I think it's intellectually, it's very weak. It's made for the lowest common denominator. I'm not a fan of it. People love it. I'm more, I'm more mad about Kills of a Flower Moon and some of these other movies because Barbie 30 years from now, no one's going to, everyone's going to laugh about it. These other movies, though, people are going to hold up and say, oh, my God, Oppenheimer, which I'm a hypocrite. Because <laughs> you you after all this stuff I said about Oppenheimer, you guys are going to be ready for whatever it is on my vote, on my ballot. Oh, my God. The next film, one of two foreign films to be nominated for Best Picture this year, Anatomy of a Fall, directed by Justine Triet, starring Sandra Huller, Swan Arad, among others. This was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director. So Justin Strea is another female director nominated for Best Director. Sandra Huller was nominated for Best Actress. It was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Another controversy around this, it wasn't nominated for Best International Film because it was a French film and France decided not to nominate it. They decided to nominate a different film for its entry because each country picks one film to basically be its entrant for that category. This was not picked for that. So Anatomy of the Fall is not eligible to be nominated for Best International Feature, even though it's nominated for Best Picture. It's stupid. A woman is, is suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness. I don't know. That's a good way to put it. 96% tomato meter, 89% audience score. It's got a 4.2 star rating on Letterboxd. Again, very high. I gave it two and a half stars. Somebody said, of course money doesn't make you happy. But it's still better to cry in a car than in a subway. Sandra Huller as Sandra Porter. I saw it on President's Day, so I said, forget President's Day, today is Sandra Huller Day. I did not think this was bad, but it was way too long. Felt it kept dragging with not much going on. The writing is immensely strong and feels real. Huller's performance is a powerhouse. What did it really have to say? Critique on the French legal system, maybe? It's two and a half hours long. I thought it was way too long. I thought you, if you cut down 20, 30 minutes of this film, I would have liked it a lot. Because, you know, the thing about this film is, is that it's not winning Best Picture, but it could have a real possibility. And I hope that it wins Best Original Screenplay because it is very well written. And the more dilemma, I think, is very well carried out of this idea between, you know, 
what what you say and what you do, right? The words that you speak and the actions that you actually create are not the same thing. And it also definitely works from a perspective of the French legal systems. I don't, I didn't know a lot, but you know, there's no Fifth Amendment. You can't plead the Fifth. There, you can cross-examine anybody at any time. You can. There's no objections. You can't say, you know, for example, something like hearsay. That doesn't work. You could use, you know, evidence can be, he told me this. You can't you use that in a trial, right? You can't be like, he told me that that happened. You weren't there. You weren't a witness to the action. You can surmise a lot of things. You can guess, oh, well, I think this happened because of that. You can't do that in a legal trial, right? You, you, you know, there's a lot of things that you can't get away with in the United States legal system that you can't get away with in the French legal system. So I feel like that's maybe what the film was talking about, but it didn't develop sort of the our our infatuation with these type of cases. It didn't enough, in my opinion. It didn't get across the the level of sort of objectification that comes with these cases. The fact that we like it when or not we, but you know, a lot of people are interested in this type of stuff. I mean, look at Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, for example. I and mean, that was the last big one, I think. But you know, these type of cases draw. People want to watch it. People want to see. They want to know what's going on. Um, I don't think it really got to that all that much. And not that it was a bad film. I'm gonna give it two and a half stars. It's not a bad film, but I can't lie and be like, I'm watching it and I'm kind of hoping it's going to end. It just kept dragging. And I know I, I'm harsh and I'm not trying to be overly harsh anymore. I'm not trying to be like that. But if a film doesn't work for me, it didn't work. I'm not going to sit here and lie. And I'm not going to be the guy who's just everything's five stars. Because I don't understand those people. I wish I could. But like, I was everything you want. So five, you know, I was everything you want. Great. I just feel like. A little too long, and I don't really know what it had to say, especially with the ending. Like, what was the, you know, I'm not giving anything away or anything like that. Not even not even close to being a spoiler, but, you know, what really was the point of the film? Number four, The Holdovers, directed by Alexander Payne. has 97% Rotten Tomatoes score, 91% audience score. Letterbox is a 4.2, so we got another high rating. Stores Paul Giamatti. Divine Joe Randolph, Carrie Preston, Dominic Sessa, and it's directed by Alexander Payne. It is nominated for Best Picture, like I said. It's nominated for Best Actor, Paul Giamatti. It's nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Divine Joe Randolph. It's nominated for Best Original Screenplay. It's David Hemmingson, though. Alexander Payne did not write this. I gave it three stars, and I had to give it three stars. I wanted to give it three and a half, but I had to give it three. Now, I had I had this whole thing. I'm not going to read my whole review. I'm going to read the only the last part of the review. Not going to win awards, wink, wink, for originality, but has some interesting things to say, though they may be shallow. Still enjoyed it. Now, yeah, I got to be honest. This film is not very original. I, I haven't even seen a lot of the films that this film's spoofing off of, but... It wasn't very original. Now, I got to tell you why I couldn't give it that high of a star rating. I'm watching this film, and this is not a spoiler or anything. There's a scene where they go to this party, and the main character walks to a snow globe, and he's staring at the snow globe. And it's about, it's a prep school. It's about a prep school, basically. It's about a Professor Paul Giamatti and this cook, Devane Joe Randolph, and this student, Dominic Sessa, as they hang out during Christmas break when no one else is there. It's, you know, it's a story about love and all this other crap. But this guy walks into this party. He goes up to the snow globe. And, and, a, and a musical chime is in the background. 
And I said to myself, this is where she, this is where the female lead is going to be introduced. Okay. Wait a little bit. I'm like, don't worry about this. This is where the female lead is going to get introduced. More. I'm telling you, I bet on my life. I bet on my life. The female lead is about to be introduced right here. Wait a couple more seconds. He's still staring at the glove. Oh my God. Maybe, maybe I misidentified this film. Maybe I misidentified. Then the woman comes up, Angus. This is Angus Tully. He's one of our students. This is my niece, Elise. Oh, oh, I mean, give me a break. My problem with that is, it's like predictable directing, predictable storytelling, right? If I can see that you're telegraphing a beat, if I know that you're telegraphing a moment, that's not a good thing. I can't, I, I'm sorry, but like, you know what I mean? I, I just, I gotta, I gotta give respect where respect's due. And for Alexander Payne, this was a big film for him because Alexander Payne is actually a relatively famous filmmaker. More so in the 90s, you know, he made, in the early 2000s, he made Citizen Ruth, which was a big film, Election, Sideways, About Schmidt. You guys might know these films. But he made a film, his last film was Downsizing, which people thought was horrendous and, um, you know, people really got on him for. But my thing about it is, you know, you're 60 years old. Why are you making this film? It's clearly nostalgia. The The way the film is set up, if you're familiar at all with sort of like avant-garde, like 70s European film, a lot of them employed this specific film ratio and they had a sort of graininess to them. And this film, all in the post-production room is that, you know, has a lot of graininess to it. And it's supposed to be nostalgic over, you know, lo you know lost time. And it takes place in the 70s. And again, it's like New England campy and snow and all this other crap but it just wasn't original and it didn't for me really have anything new to say and i think that's a recurring thing with a lot of these if you're kind of getting what i'm saying is okay i mean i've talked about i've talked now about six films what was my thing about all of them at the end of the day what do they really have to say i, I just don't understand this inability to have something of real merit to say i mean why are you coming out here and you're doing something, you're rehashing something. Again, not that The Holdovers is a terrible film, but we've all seen this before. It's not like it's a new concept. And it's like, give me something new. Give me a new spin on something. Give me a little bit of like some, something that I can really embrace a little bit. Just, I know a lot of people who loved it and everything like that. And that's fine. But I mean, I watched and I really had to just say to myself, you know, what's really the, what's really the point? Other than have a nice time. And, you know, not that it needs, you know, some people will argue not all art has to have a point. But to me, then why are you even making the film in the first place? Number three. I also saw this film on President's Day, which is why I called it Sandra Huller Day. The Zone of Interest. As a 93% critic score, it has a 77% audience score. On Letterboxd, it has a four stars. It's directed by Jonathan Glazer, who's also coming off a long layoff. It's nominated for Best Picture. It's nominated for Best Director. It's nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. And it's nominated for Best International Film because it's a United Kingdom production. It focuses the commander of Auschwitz, Rudolf Haas, and his wife Hedwig strive to build a dream life for their family in a house and garden next to the camp. Now, I gave this three stars. I said... Expecting to walk in and see the most important film in the century was always unrealistically high, but I can't help but be disappointed. 
The film was trying to make the audience emotionally distant, but I dozed off several times in the theater, which isn't good. I also don't know how well Glazer approached his opportunity here. He could have created something that completely challenged Marlon living in society, but because of the audience's distance to the material, this assessment is, this assessment is never possible. Don't worry, these monsters with no feeling that stare at the camps that they have created. This cannot be you. You would never live like this. Flunky fell into dystopian cliches and the new age European cinematic style of rewarding apathetic filmmaking. Big time missed opportunity. I, I was disappointed with this film because I was struggling to stay awake. I gave it three stars. It was still worth my time. But, you know, I was promised something. And I'm going to read the quote in a little bit because I'm going to try to get at what I was thinking it was going to be. A lot of people said that this film was going to be something about showing you that Nazis are actually people in the sense of they're good people or anything. But it's not so simple as like they just wanted to kill Jewish people or they wanted to kill, you know, they wanted to control the world. It was just like that was their job, so to speak, but they were people with interests. They still liked art. They still listened to music. They still talked. They still had fun. They still got sick. Like, they're still able to experience the human experience and get into this fine line, this gray area of like, you know, these are the monsters that we've hated all our lives, but how much different are they than them, than ourselves? That's what I thought this film was going for. That's what was promised to me by other people who've seen it. But that's not what it is because the because they are so distant and because the filmmaking is so slow and a lot of wide shots, not a lot of close-ups. We're literally never allowed to identify with these people in any way. It's almost as if Glazer is afraid that is so afraid somehow that if we like these people at all, that he's promoting Nazism in some way or that he's excusing Nazism in some way, which is why maybe Nazism is not even the best because it's so you know politicized and it's so like you can't say anything about it because if you say that, you're a Nazi. Which obviously anybody who has a brain and can and comprehend nuance knows that you're not promoting Nazism if you show the human side of these people. Because guess what? That's the scary part. They were people. They were not these are not alien video game characters. These are not movie characters. These are real people that did this stuff. That's what's scary about that. And I thought he was gonna not only tell you that, show you that, but then also combine it with modern apathy and the, the way society works today. You do that. You make the most important film of the 20th, 21st century. But it, he didn't do that because he doesn't allow you at all to ever identify with these characters, ever see yourself within these characters. And that, to me, defeats the purpose. Oh, what? Oh, my God, you know, Nazis hated, Nazis were emotionally detached from the violence that they were doing. It's still good. It's still a worthwhile assessment. But is that really all you have to say about it? Yes, we understand. They killed, they killed 13 million people, right? They killed millions of more through the war that they've, you know, waged as well. So we get that. You're not you're not breaking new ground telling me that. You're not breaking new ground telling me that. So what are you trying to say that this is what the evil looks like? Yeah. But what else? And because we're never allowed to identify with anybody, it's tough. And I gotta tell you, it was so boring. I I was fighting for my life trying to stay awake. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, the, the first I thought the screen broke because the, the movie didn't start until like four minutes in. They were just like noise to stop the movie. It was a black screen. I almost got up. I kept waiting like, okay, is this part of the movie? Is it? I was like, I was another minute away from getting up and tell, asking them, is the projector broken? What? I mean, it was like four minutes of this black screen and going. I'm like, okay, I get it. 
you're trying to hypnotize us, you know, maybe. But it just it just felt like there wasn't enough conviction and that this is what we're doing here. Now, to me, it's still worthwhile. I wouldn't mind if it won. It's not going to win. But on my ballot, I got to give people, you know, the, 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 the stuff. Yeah. If my option is zone of interest or Barbie, I got to put zone of interest ahead, even though I didn't particularly like it. Mainly because I was getting disappointed. And this is what I'm talking about. This was the one part of the film, Sandra Hull's character actually said this, where I kind of started to identify or at least understand them a little bit. This is after a plot point where like they might have to move, basically. They might have to move like towns. This is our home. We're living how we dreamed we would. Since we were 17, beyond how we dreamed, out of the city, finally, everything we want on our doorstep and our children strong and healthy and happy. Everything the Fuhrer said about how we should live, it's exactly how we do. Drive east. Lebensraum. Here it is. Now, obviously, if you get out the Fuhrer part, you get out some of the other little things. Doesn't sound too dissimilar to even you or me. But that was 1% of the film, not, not 99% of it. Say lovey. Number two on my ballot. So my number one and number two were very, very contentious here. Because if you don't know, I haven't said American fiction and I haven't said Oppenheimer. I didn't want to vote for American fiction because that makes me a hypocrite. But I couldn't put Oppenheimer number one because I am the resistance to this. You understand what I'm saying here? I could not vote for Oppenheimer because I'm literally the resistance to this film. I am literally the resistance to the crowning of Christopher Nolan. Okay? You understand that? Oppenheimer. Leads all films with 13 nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, and a bunch more. Focuses on the real-life story of Robert Oppenheimer. Has a 93% Rotten Tomatoes score, 91% audience score. The letterbox is also high, considering it's been watched by 2 million people. 4.3 stars. I gave it three stars. It stars Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Josh Harnett, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, Benny Safdie, Jason Clark. Now, I'm not going to go too, again too much into this film because I already gave you guys my thoughts back in July. But I'll give you my quote. You don't get to commit sin and then ask all of us to feel sorry for you when there are consequences. Emily Blunt, as Catherine Kitty Oppenheimer. The last hour of this focuses on someone's security clearance and someone's cabinet position. I don't care. Leave this at two hours, and it is the masterpiece everyone's claiming it to be. My thoughts have not changed on this film. I think it's a little overrated. Of course, comes with the territory. People love Nolan. I'm not the biggest fan of Christopher Nolan's work, mainly because I just think it's a little juvenile, the way he approaches political subjects and society at large. To quickly sort of summarize, this film will win. This film will win Best Picture. It's going to win Best Director and all these different awards. But the reason why I'm still putting it number two above all these other films is because it is so well done. Forget the writing. Forget the writing and, uh, and the fact that I may not agree with the last hour of the film because I'm personally, that's not what I believe, the how the world works or I care. I still would be a fraud or a liar if I didn't say that this is a monumental success achievement technically. I don't care what anybody says. It's a technical achievement. What Nolan was able to do with the, you know, the dropping of the bomb and, and the different scenes that he was able to create from that. I mean, that's hard. That's not like, I could say all the shit that I want. 
I probably will never be able to do something like that. That is something that takes craft. You have to be an artist, a technician to be able to do that. And on that alone, I respect it. Another thing that I kept telling about earlier, what I hold against past lives, what I even hold against the holdovers, you've got to feel big. That doesn't mean you have to be an epic to win best, be the best film of the year. But you have to have some sort of stakes, life-changing stakes, death, life, the world, the fate, the fate of the universe, whatever it might be. Oppenheimer has that. Even though I might disagree with the way it presents that, that challenge, it still has that, right? And it still feels big and feels important. And that's why no matter what, at the end of the day, I have to respect it. And that's where this all comes down to. Even though I don't like it, even though it's not my favorite movie or anything, I still gave it three stars. I still thought it was decent. I still admitted that if it ended at two stars, I would have liked it even more. Because my problem was, this film ends with two hours. It basically says everything that it would have said in the last hour, but it cuts out all the fluff and the boringness of it. The last hour didn't really add anything other than summarizing plot points and telling us thing, historical events that happened. At two hours, Nolan ends with a scene that forces the audience to examine their own role in the conflict, which is infinitely more interesting than Oppenheimer's security clearance or Robert Downey Jr.'s pursuit to win an Oscar. That's my problem. Now, I'm kind of also rushing through this a little bit because I don't want to make the podcast too long. Do you understand? Do you understand? The last film, number one, American fiction. I got to be honest with you. Shocking how much I liked I'm just laughing because it's funny. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 95% audience score, got 3.8 stars on Letterboxd, directed by, in his directorial debut, Cord Jefferson, starring Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, excuse me, John Ortiz, Sterling K. Brown, Issa Rae, Keith David, among others. It's got 3.8 stars on Letterboxd, like I said, so it's low compared to all these other things. I gave it four stars. <laughs> It focuses on basically this writer who's a professor whose career has been stunted. And in order to become a better writer, he basically writes a very like stereotypical caricature like black book about like gang violence. And he starts winning awards and everything because of this. And it gets very meta. This is what I did. I know. I broke the first rule of sales. Never estimate how stupid everyone is. John Ortiz is author. Literally trapped inside the vortex of modern culture, corporate expectations, and the complete art illiteracy in our society, being the very thing it is commenting on encapsulating its own flaws and message into one singular vision, simplistic that everyone gets it, complex and that no one actually does. As a straight satire, this is Oscar bait, but as a meta work, it's a goddamn masterpiece. Type of film that I love only because the point blatantly goes over people's heads while raising the one movie this year and a fan favorite. It's getting Oscar buzz. Did y'all even listen to what it was saying? I know this is a condescending review, but Ryan Johnson is an executive producer. You either get what I'm trying to say or no biggie. This whole film, the whole point of this film is criticizing how mainstream society rewards bad art. Right? The impetus of this film is basically the artist's success comes not from when he writes genuine art, but when he writes garbage. When he writes trash. And this film that's commenting on art revealing bad art. A Best Picture nomination. Best Actor nomination. A Best Supporting Actor nomination. And a Best 
adapted screenplay nomination. Now, I hope they got it wins best adapted screenplay. I hope it wins an Oscar because it's funny. We're pushing this because it's meta. This whole film sets up and says, we're making fun of the fact that you give art awards. We are making fun of the fact that you give Oscar bait awards. We are making fun of the fact that you reward caricatures and BS simplistic versions of what the real world actually is. We are making fun of the fact that people don't understand what actually makes real art real. We're making fun of the fact that garbage is more popular than genuine art. That things that are worthless are more popular than genuine art. And I don't even know how. But the fact that Ryan Johnson is somehow executive producing this, it almost feels like this is some sort of joke that I, that I don't even know. That just everyone's in on. of A 25-year joke that's culminating. Ryan Johnson is the epitome of simplistic, dumb, caricature, BS, highbrow, fakery that's permeated film and art. All style, no substance, having nothing illegitimate to say, using caricatures to promote diversity or promote other people. And he's executive producing this. I mean, am I am I out of my mind? This somehow this film is just is so, and that's why I love it because for some reason, I mean, even the character arcs in the film. This is my point. I don't know how to really explain this to people, but art, when art really works, when art genuinely works. The theme, the plot, and the actual art itself manifests, it builds. Because you get you get the, the actual, the way the art is created, right? What I mean by that is, what type of art is it? Is it a film? Is it a book? What's your style you're going for? Fast-paced, slow-paced, that kind of thing. Very simplistic, but I'm simplifying. And the story. And then the themes. When the themes and the story mix, you got something good. When the themes in the story mix with the pacing and that's affecting it, art can then build multi-tiered reactions to itself. It's like an organism at that point. It's a living thing because on one level, it's just a story, but now it's not anymore because the way you're presenting the story is inherently enhancing the themes that which you're telling. The fact that this film focuses the way the plot works, the plot of this film is so dumb but it's meta. But it's meta not only within the plot itself, literally, it's also figuratively, because the characters themselves are also caricatures within the film and the film, but the people watching the film don't even realize it. I'm telling you, something like this does not come around often. When an artist, I don't know how, I don't even know if Court Jefferson may, meant to do it. I don't even know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I'm trying to explain, like, you're making something that's making fun of what you're talking about. You literally become the very thing you're making fun of and you're being rewarded with Best Picture nominations. Beautiful. We're here for it. I want it. And I think I deserve it. Adios mil. Now, I'm going to try to run through the other awards and tell you who I think's who I think should win and who I think is going to win. Okay. Okay. The Best Picture I just did. Now, best picture, not the odds for best picture. This is by DraftKings. Maestro's got 6,500 plus 6,500. Past Lives plus 6,500. Zone Adventures plus 5,000. American Fiction plus 4,000. There my go, boys. Anatomy of a Fall plus 2,800. Kills of Fire Moon plus 2,500. Barbie plus 1,800. Holdovers plus 1,200. Poor Things plus 1,200. Oppenheimer minus 900. Oppenheimer's winning this award. No point. Don't be stupid. It don't matter. They've won the BAFTAs. They won the Golden Globes for this award. 
Oppenheimer's wing. Best directors even more scattered. Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest is plus 2,500. Justine Triet for Anatomy of the Falls plus 1,600. Yogos Lanthimos for Poor Things is plus 1,400. Marty for Kills of a Flower Moon is plus 1,400. Nolan for Oppenheimer's minus 3,500. So don't even touch this award. It's, it's, there's no reason to even... It's it's a coronation for Christopher Nolan to win his first ever Oscar. This is the coronation for him. So I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I wouldn't... And frankly, I think probably Nolan is probably deserving out of all those anyway. So there's no reason even... Don't even touch it. Don't, don't even look at it. Don't even look at it. Oscar Best Actors. Coleman Domingo, who starred in Rustin, who I heard was a terrible film. Plus 4,000. I didn't see it. I'm going to see it before the show, but I heard it was not very good. Focuses on the civil rights era, but I heard it was just not good. It was Netflix garbage. Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction is plus 2,800. I kind of agree with that. Bradley Cooper for My Astros, plus 1,000. I don't know why he was nominated, frankly. Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers is plus 175. Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer's minus 250. Now, this is interesting because Cillian Murphy won at the Baptist. Cillian Murphy has been it has been the favorite since this film came out. But Paul Giamatti did win Best Actor for a Musical or Comedy at the Golden Globes. And there's sort of this potential that, okay, Paul Giamatti's never won an Oscar. Maybe this is his time to win one. Now, I would highly disagree with that. I think Cillian Murphy, if there's one thing that Oppenheimer did well, Cillian Murphy deserves to win this award. Hands down. I don't care. This is one that if you're looking for value and you just want to take a flyer on somebody, plus 175, plus 200, this is the one award where I would say you can do that. Because I would not I would not be surprised if Paul Giamatti wins, especially considering what might happen at SAG. That's key. You got to look at what happens at SAG. If Cillian Murphy wins at SAG, he's almost going to definitely win at the Oscars. If Paul Giamatti somehow wins at SAG, which is possible, you then have to, you have to, you have to, you bet Paul Giamatti, in my opinion, because there's going to be value there to expose. Best Actress. Annette Benning. Plus 4,000 for Naya, which I watched. I don't know how she was nominated. I don't know why Margot Robbie wasn't nominated ahead of her. Like, I don't know why. No one saw Niad, which focuses on the famous swimmer who swimmed across from Cuba to from the United States. I don't know why she was nominated though ahead of Margot Robbie. I'm kind of upset because I think Margot Robbie deserved to get nominated for her role. And it just would have made everything easier and more exciting for the category. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro is plus 2,000. Sandra Huller for Anatomy of the Falls plus 1,000. None of those people are winning. This is the one right here. Lily Gladstone, who plays the female lead in Kills of the Flower Moon, is plus 120. Emma Stone is minus 150. Now, until like January, Lily Gladstone was the pick here. There was this sort of agenda of getting Lily Gladstone to win. She would be the first Native American woman to win and a Best Actress not a win. And I think that was the moment. But for some reason, Emma Stone has been gearing up. And the, all the buzzes are on Emma Stone. And that's why she's at minus 150. And that's sort of like, that sort of grassroots, let's get the diverse win, you know, let's have Lily Gladstone win, let's crown her. I think has switched to, you know, let's crown Emma Stone as this generation's actress. Personally, out of all these people, I think Sandra Huller should win. And considering I'm going to hate more things, I'm probably still going to think Sandra Huller should win. I think her performance was tremendous in MMA of the fall. But... I would be surprised if Emma Stone doesn't win because I'm just not getting a lot of buzz from what I'm reading and what I'm seeing that Lily Gladstone's getting that sort of buzz. Like, 
oh my God, let's vote for her so we get a historic win because that already happened last year. You know, Michelle Yu did that. So people might be saying, you know, who really cares this year? Like ha what happened last year is working against her because last year, Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yu, people wanted Michelle Yu to win because an Asian woman hadn't won in 100 years, blah, 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 blah. 90 years, I'm exaggerating. But now people might not really care as much. Especially because Lily Gadstone's like not as an as accomplished as an actress. Best supporting actor. This this award's already been set up. Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction is plus two thousand. He just got an infight. He's not winning. Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things is plus sixteen hundred. He's not winning. Robert De Niro for Kills of the Flower Moon is plus fourteen hundred. He's not winning. Ryan Gosling for Barbie's plus six fifty, and Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer's minus a thousand. Now Downey Jr. is winning this award. Out of all of these, fuck it. Ryan Gosling would be my vote. Let's just watch the world burn, you know? Because Ryan Gosling winning for this would be really funny. He's not going to. And Downey Jr. is going to win even though I don't think his performance was any of that. Anyway, I think this was this was a, this was was a category that they messed up. I think they have better options available for sure. Anatomy of the Fall had an actor they could have nominated here. Um, Past Lives had an actor they could have nominated here. Charles Menton for May-December should have been nominated for this award. So I think this award is just like this is this is Nepo. This is let's get the Nero nomination. Let's get Ruffalo on the red carpet. Me a fucking break. These people did not deserve to be nominated this year. This should have been a different looking comp composition of of nominees, in my opinion, for sure. Odds and best supporting actress. This is another one that you don't touch with a ten foot pole. Jodie Foster for Nia plus twenty two hundred. Again, I don't know how these women got nominated because no one's voting for them. They have no chance of winning, and no one saw the movie that they were in. I don't get it. American Ferrera for Barbie, 1800 She's not winning, and thankfully. Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, plus 1100 Again, I don't know why. Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, plus 1100 Didn't see it, and I can't really go off of it. Devine Joy Randolph, The Holdovers, minus 2000 This sort of feels like the category where someone gets crowned, right? Because, first of all, she's, plus, she's minus 2000 so she's winning. But this feels like... Look, this is a new actress. She's up and coming. Let her win. Now, out of these options, I would probably just say Devine, I would probably vote for Devine Joy Randolph as well. And see, that's how you kind of know that she's going to win. Because I didn't even think her performance was that tremendous. And yet, out of these options, she's clearly the best option. Enough said. And she was also in the whole book. Best original screenplay. May, December, plus 3,500. Maestro, plus 1,200. Past Lives, plus 500. Anatomy of the Fall, plus 135. The Holdovers, minus 165. I think Anatomy of the Fall should win this because of how well written it is. And this is the one award I would take a flyer on. If you're going to try to bet a dog here, this is the dog that I would bet, that I'm probably going to bet when I pick the show. Because uh, I do put money on this, by the way. I'm going to give people betting advice. I have to you know, I have to also bet myself. So if I tell you not to bet a category, don't bet it. I'm like, oh, bro, you told me. No, no, no. Right? I'm picking Anatomy of the Fall because I think it's a better screenplay than The Holdovers. And I could see people just saying, you know what? Let's change it up. Let's reward, you know, let's get a woman to win. Let's reward a foreign film. I would bet Anatomy of the Fall, big time. Odds to win best adapted screenplay. Zone of Interest plus 2,500. Four Things plus 600. American Fiction plus 300. Barbie plus 275. Oppenheimer minus 115. To me, American fiction should win this based off everything I just said. It's tremendous screenplay. I would not be shocked if Barbie wins this award because Barbie really might get shut out. I mean, as, as crazy as it might seem, 
the production design Barbie might win, costume design Barbie might win, best original song, like I said, Barbie's definitely going to win best original song. But to me, I feel like, you know what? People might want to, people might want to get Gerwig a win, you know, because she obviously wasn't nominated, get Barbie on the stage, give them a, give them a nice win. So if I had to bet, again, I think American Fishers will win. But look, you got to think how voters think. We're already giving Oppenheimer Best Picture. We're giving Oppenheimer Best Actor. We're giving Oppenheimer Best you know, Editing, all these technical awards. And we're giving Oppenheimer Best Director. Do we really need to give Oppenheimer Best Adapted Screenplay? Because, you know, no one's already going to win three awards tonight. So I got to tell you, I, I think I think Barbie wins this award. That's my hot pick. That's another dog. So the only two dogs I'm picking, guys, are these two. That I would be like, I really think you should bet these because that's what I'm going to bet. And maybe I'm wrong. I know, guys, I talked a little fast there. I know that was a lot of information. I hope you understand what I said. I hope you got what I said. I hope you enjoyed the show. The next time I'll talk to you is around March 3rd. Uh, for Dune, where I'll also mention a little bit about the Oscars. And then March 10th, we'll have our live post-show for the 96th Annual Academy Awards. It's going to be a really fun show. As always, if you want more of my letterbox reviews, I know they're, they're better when you actually read them as opposed to me trying to be open as possible. Follow me at JABNNR. I see a lot of great films that I've been seeing, a lot of great recommendations, a lot of things that you can kind of understand about the film. And again, it's a good app to have because you know a lot about the art if not, c'est la vie. Thank you guys as always for your support. I'm so excited for what's coming up next as we go on to this final ride of Rumors Money Movies. Until next time, guys. Bye-bye.